Welcome to Detroit Today on 1019 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson, and as always, thanks for tuning in. A little later in the show, we are going to talk about the 10th season that is launching for a show called Under the Radar on Detroit Public Television. Tom Dalden and Jim Edelman are old friends of the show here on Detroit Today. They're going to be in to talk about 10 years of doing this wonderful show that tells us all about these really great places here in the state of Michigan, some that we are familiar with, some that we have never heard of. So you're going to want to stay tuned to that conversation. It'll get started at about 940. But first today, when we talk about politics and elections in this country, a premium has developed around the idea of, quote, moderate voters, those who don't run to extremes, but who kind of stick to the middle and can maybe be up for grabs for candidates of either party. But what if that whole premise is wrong? What if moderates are independents and are just one category of voters who move in a fluid way between political polls? What if there are lots of different kinds of voters who are more open-minded and maybe sit in the middle who we ought to be paying more attention to? Joining us to answer these questions and more is Lee Drutman. He's a senior fellow in the political reform program at New America, and he recently wrote a piece for 538 titled, The Moderate Middle is a Myth. Lee, welcome to Detroit Today. Great to be with you this morning, Stephen. Yeah. So let, let's start with actually uh, something out of the headlines. All right. Uh, we had a gerrymandering ruling yesterday from the U.S. Supreme Court. It affects us here in the state of Michigan. Uh, talk about your reaction to it. Uh, so the, the what you're referring to is the Supreme Court tossing out a challenge um, to the Republican-drawn Michigan map, yes. which uh, were uh, pretty heavily uh, tilted towards Republicans. And uh, this is in line with uh, the Supreme Court decision earlier this year in which they uh, <coughs> threw out other challenges from uh, North Carolina. Uh, basically, the Supreme Court has said partisan gerrymandering is A-OK. There's nothing in the Constitution that tells us uh, that, it's, uh, that it's unconstitutional. So go at it, states. Do, do what you want with the maps. Uh, and th- so that's, that, that's where we are right now. Uh, the Supreme Court is, is, uh, has, has created a, a free-for-all. And whichever state controls the, the legislature has has a, a green light to draw districts as partisan as they like. At, at least until 2020, when here in the state of Michigan, we will impanel a nonpartisan commission now to, to draw those lines. We, uh, in 2018, <clears throat> voted to change the way that we will decide district lines in the future. And so we're all kind of anticipating what that will look like and what effect it will have on on our map. This was uh, a case that could have forced us to redraw that map before the 2020 uh, presidential elections and, con- and congressional elections. Um, I, I want to sort of segue from that to this piece that you've written about moderates, because I think one of the things that is is important in the discussion about line drawing and districts and gerrymandering is what happens to, to voters who don't 
just solidly identify with one party or another. You get people drawing districts trying to make sure that those people have their way and that the people in the middle sort of uh, just kind of blend in. Uh, but you write that moderate, independent, and undecided voters are not all the same and that none of these groups are reliably, quote, centrist. They're ideologically diverse, so there's no simple policy solution that will appeal to all of them. Talk about what drew you to this distinction and wanting to make it in this piece in 538. So I think there's a lot of punditry uh, <clears throat> around politics that assumes that most voters are in the middle and that they have centrist policies, uh, centrist policy pers- uh, preferences, and <clears throat> that candidates who move to the middle are going to win those voters. Uh, but the reality is that there are a lot of voters who identify as moderate, certainly true, uh, but if you actually ask those voters what their policy preferences are, they're kind of all over the ideo- ideological map. And, uh, you know, similarly with people who say they're independent, uh, you know, those voters are kind of also all over uh, the ideological map. And a lot of those independent voters are not necessarily moderate. And then there are undecided voters who don't aren't sure what, what party they're going to vote for, what candidate they're going to vote for. And those voters are also all over the ideological map. And if you envision a a Venn diagram of moderates and independents and undecided voters, there's really only a pretty tiny overlap uh, of of all three categories. By by my calculation of the data, only uh, 2.4% of the electorate identifies as both moderate uh, undecided and independent, but even those voters are not necessarily centrist voters. They're also all over the ideological map. So I think we get confused because uh, the the polling question that voters ask is, are you liberal, moderate, or conservative? And for a lot of voters, they don't identify as liberal, they don't identify as conservative, and so moderate becomes the, the catch-all category. Also, it sounds like a nice thing to say, yeah, I'm a moderate person. <laughs> but again, when you actually ask these people, well, well what are your views on, uh, I looked at immigration and, and uh, economic policy uh, for this analysis, all, all over a two-dimensional space. So there's no, there's no single policy position that's going to win those voters. Uh, it may, you know, may come down to to character. I think rather than being centrist, we should think of these voters, a lot a lot of voters who are undecided as cross pressured in that they don't have policy uh, I, policy preferences that match the party. For example, a lot of voters may be slightly to the left on economic policy, but slightly to the right on immigration policy. Uh, fewer voters, but are slightly to the right on economic policy, but slightly to the left on immigration policy. And for those voters, there's no one, there's no party that that represents that. So they they sort of toggle between. Uh, the two parties, depending on what issue seems most important to them mm-hmm. at the time. Yeah. Uh, I think when we think about these different categories, though, it's really important to define the terms. And and you spend a little bit of time trying to, to, to draw distinctions between people who are moderate, people who are undecided, and people who are independent. And of course, it's important to keep in mind that these are self-identified labels as well. And so people people may say that they are one thing, but really their behavior could could belie something something else. but but talk about the differences between these categories of voters and why they matter. 
sure. Let, let's start with independence because I think this is the the category that, that gets most confused. Now, a lot of people, when uh, you ask them to identify, uh, are you <clears throat> Democrat, Republican, or independent? Uh, will identify as an independent. In fact, for about a decade now, upwards of 40 to 45 percent of Americans have said they are independent. Now, in reality, most people who identify as independent do vote like partisans. And that, when you when you further ask them, well, do you usually lean towards Democrats or the Republicans? You'll you'll get a well, I usually vote Democrat or I usually vote Republican. But people are expressing something when they choose to identify as independent. And they're expressing a kind of frustration with partisan politics, with the two-party system. So even though they vote like partisans and, and may, in fact, in their in their preferences on policy, uh, be quite in the mainstream of of either Democrats or Republicans. They are sort of rejecting partisan politics as usual, and they 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 may well prefer another party on some other dimension if that party existed. But because of the way uh, we hold elections, single winner districts, plurality uh, winner, uh, we only have two parties, which, by the way, that, that system of, of drawing elections also makes gerrymandering possible. And even with uh, an independent redistricting commission, which is certainly better than uh, than than uh, state legislatures drawing the boundaries, you can still want it with disproportionality in a lot of uh, non-competitive districts because we have a party system right now in which one party, the Democrats, is concentrated in uh, urban areas mm -hmm. and upscale suburbs, and uh, another party, the Republicans, is concentrated in uh, the, the rural and exurban parts of the country, and that, that's true in, in Michigan, it's true throughout the country. And so you can wind up with uh, disproportional results. In fact, at the at the top of of the hour, you you discussed the Canadian election in which the Conservative Party actually won more votes, but the uh, Liberal Party got more seats. Mm -hmm. And Canada has an independent redistricting commission, and you still got a disproportional result. And Canada, like the U.S. and like the U.K., uh, has uh, the first past the post uh, single single member districts in which the person who gets the most votes in that district, or as they call them in Canada, riding, uh, gets to go to the legislature. These are really the only three major advanced democracies that have this uh, rather antiquated system of representation. Mm -hmm. uh, and so when we talk about this idea of moderate or independent or swing voters, I guess, uh, what is it that you're saying we ought to focus on in terms of uh, their their importance. So so here in the state of Michigan, for instance, we have voters who voted for Ronald Reagan, then they turned around and voted for Bill Clinton, and then they turned around and voted for George W. Bush, and then Barack Obama, and then Donald Trump in 2016. And I would imagine that, of course, there are voters in all of those categories who would fall into that into that pattern, who helped make all of those elections possible. Uh, what is it that we're getting wrong about how we how we think of these voters, how politicians try to appeal to them, uh, and 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 what we think about their effect on on our system of government? Well, let me if I can if I can throw that question back at you for a second. What, or, or what is it that 
that you you think about these voters. Well, I mean, you, I think you may be right. Yeah. Well, I mean, I think the the the, the, the question is what makes those voters so open to change. Most voters, I think, when we think about people who have ideological preferences or party beliefs, wouldn't cross over that many times, if if ever at all. I mean, there are there are f- probably far more people, in fact, who spent those elections voting for one party or the other. So, what what is it about these these other voters and the distinctions among them that you think were were maybe misunderstanding or or focusing on on the wrong aspect of of their behavior. Yeah, well, I, I I'm I'm not sure how many. It seems like I'm not sure how many voters followed that that whole trajectory. You'd have to be pretty but, old to have done that, yeah. right? Yeah, <laughs> I mean, I, I guess that there there's sort of I mean, Macomb County and sort of has this lore in in the the, the political punditry world as the as the kind of swing county. Right. And you know that that goes back and forth, and and you know I think that the 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 profile of that voter is a voter who is culturally conservative, uh, but economically liberal. In that it's a voter who is probably working class, white, union background, who thinks that government should should help the little guy, but also is uh, somewhat conservative in their culture of use, thinks that immigration is taking jobs away, is changing the culture, uh, you know, may may worry about the secular multiculturalism uh, of of, of urban areas changing changing the American way of life, and you know, depending on what issue is most salient in the election, will go back and forth. So you know, in in 2008, 2012, uh, you know, there there was a the sense that Obama represented change to the status quo in Washington. It was a these elections were were more about the economy, and in those elections, when when those issues become more salient. You vote on your economic preferences. In 2016, the election was very much about the, you know, the cultural uh, identity of the nation, and Hillary Clinton was not a, a, you know, was a candidate that was associated with Wall Street, whereas Trump was a bit of a populist. So you, you know, that that's an election in which that type of voter would would identify more with the Republican Party. So it, what, it's not necessarily that you have a moderate or a centrist voter here. What you have is a cross-pressured voter who is conservative on one dimension and, and, and liberal on another dimension. Hmm. And you know, depending on how the election plays out, uh, that voter is forced to decide which dimension, which issue is the most important in that given election. Hmm. We're talking about moderate voters with Lee Drutman, a senior fellow in the political reform program at New America. Uh, he's a 538 contributor who's written about the quote-unquote myth of moderate voters uh, and is also author of the forthcoming Breaking the Two-Party Loop, the Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. Uh, if you want to join the conversation, give us a call and tell us, are you somebody who identifies either as a moderate voter, as an undecided voter, or an independent voter? Do you know somebody who is? And when you say that about yourself, 
What do you mean? How do you think of your politics as being moderate or independent? And what does that mean when you go to the polls every two years or every four in the presidential elections? Uh, Does that mean that you are open to voting for one party or another? And do you consider that an important part of your approach to politics in this country? Uh, Or do you think that that, uh, the better way to do things is to have a set of beliefs uh, and apply them consistently? to one party uh, at the at the ballot box. Uh, 313-577-1019 is always the numbers here on the phones. Uh, 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or you can go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today, and uh, we'll work you into the conversation. Also, give us a call and tell us if you think that too much is made of this idea of independent or moderate or swing voters. Uh, is that the, the, the wrong focus for us during political elections to be thinking about the folks in the middle? Or should we be thinking more about uh, people who have dedicated really strong beliefs on one side or another? Again, 313-577-1019 is the number. Let's start with Vernon in Auburn Hills. Vernon, welcome to the show. Uh, good morning, Steve. An interesting show. Uh, I, I have to identify when you're uh, <clears throat> when, when you're uh, you were mentioning that some voters voted for Reagan and then Clinton and then Bush and then Obama. That happened to be me. And I, <laughs> so that resonated. It hit home. And I think of myself as a Republican, but I voted for Obama. I vote for the best candidate. And I think there's a lot of us out there that if we don't really care about the party. We want the best candidate in this last election. Uh, I didn't really like Hillary or Trump, so I went with Jill Stein, which was like a colossal mistake. <laughs> but I'm just thinking that I think we should hit, get the uh, we should get third party uh, people some recognition and, and try to really encourage more third party candidates. But I, I would like to I would like to think of the uh, moderate people just looking for the best candidate. The, it's they're not, it's not a lock whether they're a Democrat or a Republican. So, so I, I think that's really interesting, Vernon. I'm glad you called because uh, I was a little worried that my example might have excluded too many people just based on their age, right? People who were alive to vote for Reagan and, and now still might be, might be voting. So I, I think that's a great example. But, but I, I wonder if you can talk a little about what you mean when you say you're a Republican. That's the that's the part of this that I think maybe maybe doesn't quite square with with what you're saying you do at the ballot box. Um, well, we were talking about redistricting, uh-huh. and I ran for public office. And <clears throat> as far as the redistricting, if you're trying to put up lawn signs and stuff in these districts, are long skinny things. It's almost impossible. It's, uh-huh. it's it, they should just use school districts where it's more where it's squared off and it's. It has some sanity right. <laughs> uh, where the gerrymandering is so incredibly but, wrong. But the reason I picked it Republican is I mm-hmm. was living in a Republican neighborhood. Okay. So if I was in a Democrat, I would, I would have switched. And, <laughs> that's good. and I was told that once you flip, like if I turn Democrat, you can never go back. You can't just keep flipping back and forth depending on where you move into. So uh, I'm stuck with, as a Republican yeah. right now, but I, I did vote for uh, Obama because I hated McCain. I just couldn't stand again. Right. Uh, Vernon, I really appreciate the call uh, and, and the insights. Uh, uh, Lee Drutman, it seems that, um, that Vernon fits exactly in the, in the space that, that you're writing about in this article. 
Yeah, um, I mean, we could we could do some. I, I mean, if if we want to stay on the line a little longer, we could talk about Vernon's um, issue preferences. But I think you know, I mean, I think that the the there are you know there's a I think one of the things that 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 he, Vernon you said was that you you think there ought to be more options for for third parties mm-hmm. and. Uh, you know, most Americans agree with you. About about sixty five percent of Americans say that there ought to be more than two parties, and you know, I think there uh, it, it's somewhat limiting to to try to fit all voters who have this sort of interesting uh, preferences that don't necessarily fit into one party or the other, and to force them to vote for one party or the other. Uh, and that that is a, a function of of how we do our elections, which is having single winner districts with plurality voting. Most countries in the world have multi-party democracies, have a different system of voting in which third parties are not punished as spoilers, but get uh, <clears throat> electoral representation in proportion to the share of the vote that they get. And that's uh, what I advocate for in my forthcoming book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. And I I talk about how that would actually solve a lot of the problems of of binary partisan polarization that I think are really destroying our democracy at this particular moment. Mm -hmm. Okay, we're going to take a quick break. And when we come back, we're going to continue the conversation with Lee Drutman and with you about moderate voters, independent voters, swing voters, all of these people who get a lot of attention during election cycles, uh, are you one of them? Call and tell us what you think about that process, how you come to the idea that you are independent or a swing voter, what that means to you, what it means when you go to cast your ballot every two years. Uh, 313-577-1019 is the number on the phones. Neil in Gross Point Farms, Bill in Detroit will get to you when we come back. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page or hashtag us on Twitter to join the conversation. We'll be right back with more Detroit Today. This is Detroit Today on 101.9 WDET. I'm Stephen Henderson. And as always, thanks for tuning in. My guest is Lee Drutman. He's a senior fellow in the Political Reform Program at New America. He is a 538 contributor and author of the forthcoming book, Breaking the Two-Party Loop, The Case for Multi-Party Democracy in America. He also wrote a piece recently for 538 titled The Moderate Middle is a Myth. That's what we're talking about right now, this idea of moderate voters. How are they distinct? from independent voters or swing voters, and how do all of those categories of voters sort of come to bear on our elections every two years? How do they make decisions that ultimately make the choices that uh, we all are making at the ballot box. Uh, As always, the number on the phones is 313-577-1019. That's 313-577-1019. You can also go to the WDET Facebook page and put comments there, or go to Twitter and hashtag Detroit Today. We'll work you into the conversation. Let's go to Bill in Detroit. Bill, what's on your mind? Uh, yeah, uh-huh. I was. Uh, I think the conversation is really great because I think um, I was thinking about this from a, a, a analogous standpoint. I was in the restaurant business for twenty years, had a couple of restaurants, 
people walked into my restaurant and they were able to look at all kinds of choices. And I believe that um, the Republican and Democratic Party have got a lock on our system, and, um, and it's not populated by ideologues anymore. It's uh, populated by people who want to have more choice. And I agree that a multi-party system would be absolutely great for this democracy that we live in because it would give people a choice. It would give people a theme and variation on, on what the essence of what politics are all about. What are we talking about here? We're talking about how to make this country bigger and better and greater, and we can do that by having choice and being able to sort through those choices and make much wiser decisions because, again, we are not populated by a bunch of ideologues mm. anymore. I think younger people want choice. Mm. And so that's my, well, that's my theory, and I've been thinking about that for as long as I've been voting. And I did go through that whole cycle that Vern went through, huh. Reagan, uh, uh, Bush, et cetera, all the way through. Yeah. And voting for the best candidate was kind of interesting to me because it's a really difficult uh, definition. What's the best candidate? How do you define best? That really goes to the nature of how you assess um, your likes and dislikes, the theme that this person is talking about. Um, how do they vary uh, yeah. from uh, uh, you know, uh, a standard Republican or a Democratic uh, platform? Right. Bill, I, I really appreciate the call and the, and the comments. Lee Drutman, this is the subject of of your upcoming book. Uh, certainly in this country, we have had a two-party system forever, uh, it seems. And, and, and it's, I mean, it dates much, much further back in the Republic than I think even most people uh, believe or know. Uh, talk about why that's true, though, and what the case is for something different and why, if something different would be better, how come it's been so hard to affect that system in, in this country? So the reason that we have two parties is not because Americans want only two parties. Uh, in fact, most, most, Bill, most people in this country agree with you. Uh, about two-thirds of Americans would like more than two choices. Uh, but we have a two-party system because we have uh, electoral rules uh, that <clears throat> treat third parties as spoilers, because we have again single single winner districts, uh, single winner elections, in which, uh, you know, which which means that you wind up with only two parties. Because if it's a third party, nobody wants their vote to be wasted, so they you know they vote for one of the two parties uh, that are most likely to win. Now, so it, it's true we've had a two-party system uh, for most of our country, at least in name. But one of the things that I argue in uh, my forthcoming book, Breaking the Two-Party Doom Loop, the case for multi-party democracy in America, is that although we've had a two-party system in name for m most of our history, really we've only had a true, genuine two-party system for about 10 years. In, and what do I mean by that? I mean that for a long time the the parties were kind of these these broad uh, coalitions with a, a fair bit of overlap. There used to be liberal Republicans in addition to conservative Republicans and liberal Democrats and conservative Democrats. In fact, I, I would say that we really had more of a, a four-party system 
Uh, and that's kind of what, what made our, our government work in that the, it's only when you have two parties that are really separate and have no ideological overlap uh, that the, the system that we have kind of breaks down because our, our, our political system was designed to, to ensure broad compromise. And when you have two parties that are quite distinct and far apart and competing for majority control, you can't build any of that compromise in, into governing because everything becomes about winning that next election and denying the other side uh, any, uh, you know, any anything. And that's when things really break down. So I think although we've we've had a two-party system for a long time uh, in name, we've only really had a true two-party system uh, since since about 2010, and that's when the real problems in and the real breakdown of our, our democracy has has uh, has been taking place. Mm-hmm. Uh, again, Bill, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts. Let's go to Neil in Gross Point Farms. Neil, uh, this, on is, your mind. this is such a great conversation. It's something I've thought a lot about. So um, thank you for doing it, Stephen. Sure. Um, and in fact, you know, like a lot of the I'm very interested in reading this book because of the concerns about what to what extent do we have hardcore institutional uh, obstacles to uh, changing the two party system. But my actual question was on, you know, to what you, you talked uh, at the, a little bit earlier about how the Reagan to Clinton to Obama to um, you know, Trump flip happened here in Michigan. And I'm curious, you know, to what extent this could also be a, a generational um, issue. You know, a lot of boomers were doing that jumping. And to what extent are we seeing a change among younger people, uh, you know, aligning, you know, with one party or the other? Frankly, I do a lot of door knocking. And it's pretty clear, you know, overwhelmingly millennials tend to, to, to be on the more democratic side of things. And so I wonder if this just could be a generational um, issue. Uh, Neil, that's a great question. Lee Drutman, talk about how this dynamic may be changing as the country's uh, generations sort of move through. And we have a very large generation coming up, uh, coming of age now. Are, are they thinking of these things differently? Uh, yeah, certainly. Uh, I think the younger generation is, is thinking of things differently. They they do tend to vote uh, overwhelmingly for the Democratic Party, but of all the generations, I, I think the, the the young generation, you know, the, the uh, you know, particularly folks under under thirty, really just don't like the two party system. Uh, you know, they, they don't feel attached to it. They don't feel that either party represents them. And you know, frankly, when we look at who are the leading candidates in both parties, you know, uh, they are you know into their seventies. And you know, at some point, there will be a generational change in politics. And you know, I think it's young people who. Who who really will lead? I think a you know a new era of of political reform and really open up the the party system by supporting institutional changes like ranked choice voting, which is happening in which is already on you know law in Maine. And several states are are also considering valid initiatives, and that opens up the party system to to more choices. Uh, you know, I I think every Every generation, you know, there is a, a, a new look at how our politics works, and I think I think young people will really lead a, a new era of, of political reform and renewal in this country. Hmm. Hmm. Uh, Neil, I really appreciate the call and the thoughts there. Let's go to Ed in Detroit. 
Ed. Your, guest, your guest has anticipated uh, the line my question was going on. Oh, okay. <laughs> uh, and it's the issue of ranked choice voting. Hmm. At the presidential level, both political parties are deathly afraid of third parties because neither party really wants to see the election decided in the House of Representatives. Uh, of course, most democracies are parliamentary, and in Australia, they use ranked choice voting mm-hmm. for their House of Representatives. I think that could be done here, both for legislative and executive. It gets rid of this problem of the House of Representatives for president, and it lets people make a decision. You know, with modern computers, we could calculate probably within a day or so which candidate received the largest chunk of votes, and if that candidate has a majority of the vote, uh, and and we could solve many of these issues. We could get rid of this Reagan, Bush, Obama, uh, Trump cycle, which, frankly, as a partisan, I think is nutty and crazy to switch from Reagan to Obama or Obama to Trump. But that's just my private uh, view. Hmm. And I'd love to hear your guest comments, and I'm looking forward to reading his book. Yeah. Thanks uh, very much, Ed. Uh, Lee Drutman, go ahead. Yeah, Ed, I couldn't agree more with you. I, I think uh, ranked choice voting holds tremendous promise. Uh, let, let me just explain ranked choice voting mm-hmm. briefly, because I, I know not, not everybody might be familiar with it. Uh, so ranked choice voting is a, is a system of voting that's been used in over, for over 100 years in uh, Australia, as well as Ireland and a few other countries, and and is now, uh, as well as several cities across the country, um, and it allows voters to rank their candidates in, in order of preference. We rank things all the time, uh, our favorite flavor of ice cream, our favorite beer, uh, and then the votes are, are tabulated as follows. If if one candidate gets a majority of first-choice first preferences, that candidate is declared the winner. If no candidate yet has a majority of first-choice preferences, the last-place candidate is eliminated, and his or her votes are uh, allocated to their, their supporters' second-choice preferences. And then if there's a majority winner... Uh, the election is over. If not, then we do it again until one candidate gets a majority of, of votes. Now, uh, uh, ranked choice voting solves a, a few problems. One is the spoiler effect of third parties, so it allows you to vote your your heart with your your first choice, and you know maybe your head with your second or third choice. It kind of gives you a backup vote, so you could pick the candidate that you you could express your support for the candidate that you like most, but not feel like you're wasting. Uh, your vote, that, and that that has the effect of of bringing more candidates, more ideas, more uh, representation into uh, the um, the the uh, political discourse. Um, it, it also tends to encourage a, a type of campaigning that's a, a little bit more about building bridges and less about tearing them down. When there's more candidates, there's less zero sum campaigning because zero sum. Uh, lesser of two evils campaigning only works when there's two candidates. Right. There, there is no phrase lesser of three evils. Uh, there is only lesser of two evils because there's no negative. The logic of negative campaigning doesn't work when there's more candidates because you're you, you're going to tear yourself down in the process. And we see that in the Democratic primary debates where the candidates who go nasty and negative uh, uh, that tends to to hurt them as well.
Okay, Lee Drutman, senior fellow in the political front reform program at New America. It was really great to have you here with us on Detroit Today. Great to be with you, Stephen, and, and great, great questions from the callers. Yeah, yeah. Okay, up next, we are going to hear from the guys from Under the Radar, Michigan, which launches its 10th season this week. Stay with us on Detroit Today. Thank you.